Our text today is in Acts chapter number 8. As you turn to Acts chapter number 8 for our text today, we step back a page or two, pick up one of the stories that we skipped by, Acts chapter 8, for our text today. When I was living with Uncle Ad on the farm, we lived right on the New York-Connecticut border. Actually, the farm was right on the border. The closest little town was a place called Millerton in New York State. But the more significant part was that we were about two hours north there of New York City. So there were certain influences that came from New York City up into the area where we lived, especially the dominance of the Jewish population in the business world. There was a drugstore in Millerton on Main Street. It was run by the Weinsteins. And there was a clothing store down the street that was run by the Sappersteins. <laughs> and uh, the businessman that I dealt with the most was the local cattle dealer. His name was Louis Karkowski. Uh, but Uncle Ed and most everyone else called him Louis the Rat. And he st stopped at all the local farms about once a week with his cattle truck to see if you had anything to sell. And uh, back then, a calf was worth $20. <laughs> at least that's all Louie would ever pay for a calf. Well, one day, we had a cow that had twins. And uh, after the calves were born and up, uh, moving around, Uncle Ad told me, I got something I want you to do. I want you to tie one calf up in this end of the barn, way in this end. He said, and I want you to take the other calf and tie it up as far as you can get in the other end of the barn. Because Louie the Rat will be here, and we're going to sell Louie both of those calves. So I asked, well, why do you want me to tie one in the opposite end of the barn from the other one? Uncle Ad said, if Louie finds out they're twins, he'll say that those calves are awful small. I can't pay $20 for such a small calf, and he'll try to cheat me if he knows the calves are twins. Well, sure enough, Louie came, and Uncle Ad said, Louie, I got two calves to sell today, uh, and here's one right here. He said, you'll have to go all the way to the barn, the other end of the barn, see the other one. And I want $20 for these cats. Well, uh, $20 he paid for both of them. He agreed, and he left. Well, the next week he stopped again, and we were milking it. Uncle Ed said, hey, Louie, come here, look at this cow. That's a good cow, he said. It's such a good cow, you paid me $40 for her cat. And Louis said, I never pay $40 for any calf. Never. Only $20. And Uncle Ed said, those two calves you bought last week were twins from this cow. And he started yelling, you cheat me, you cheat me, you cheat me. <laughs> and that's how Uncle Ed got the best of a Jewish cattle dealer named Louis the Rat. Well, you might ask, uh, business down there was dominated by the Jewish people. They were known for being shrewd in their business dealings. Yes, what's that got to do with the book of Acts? 
Well, we're about to look at a wonderful story. It's an amazing story that unfolds in chapter 8. And you will recall that back in chapter 6, the early church chose seven men full of the Holy Spirit to do what they call wait on tables, or precisely to divide the money that was donated to support the widows who had no other means of support. It was a social service program driven by love and concern for the poor. Stephen was one of those men who agreed to do that tedious work, but turned out to be their best preacher. And another one chosen to do that tedious work was a man named Philip, who also turned about to be an excellent preacher, and he is out preaching to the Samaritans. We're in Acts chapter number 8, begin reading at verse number 5. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them, and the people with one accord gave heed to those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits crying with loud voice came out of many that were possessed with them, many taken with palsies and that were lame were healed, and there was great joy in that city. So Philip is doing a great work in Samaria, just up north of Jerusalem. And many people are believing in Jesus, and the work is a very successful work. But suddenly, a very strange thing happens. Verse number 26. The angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, and go toward the south, unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem into Gaza, which is a desert. There's no explanation. No explanation at all. No reason is given. It's just a simple command. Go. I want you to go right now. Go down south. Uh, There is a main road that goes from Jerusalem into Gaza. It's on the way to Egypt. I want you to go down that road. And when you get to that desert spot where it turns into a desert, uh, nothing around for miles, that's where I want you to go. So go down there to that dry, abandoned desert spot. Just go. Philip grabs a water bottle, straps on his sandals, and he goes. Leaving behind... A very successful campaign in Samaria where many people have been hearing God's word and believing in Jesus. And if someone today got a similar message, they would say, why leave behind a successful ministry and go all alone out into the middle of an abandoned desert? Certainly it's better to preach to large crowds than to go out in the middle of nowhere. But Philip, without knowing why he's supposed to go, goes out to the middle of nowhere. He obeys God's command. And there he is, walking along the desert road, all alone. When off in the distance, he sees a cloud of dust. Somebody's coming. Who? Who knows who it is? But somebody's coming, verse 27. He rose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasure, had come to Jerusalem for to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot 
read Isaiah the prophet. There was a man in a chariot, no doubt. There's more than one chariot, but the main one was occupied by a very special person. And we are given a full explanation of who the man was. First, he's a man of Ethiopia. The dark-skinned man, Ethiopia, was the African kingdom on the south side of Egypt. And this man serves the queen of Ethiopia, Candace by name. And he has reached the peak of authority in that kingdom. He is the treasurer for Queen Candace. That is, he's in charge of all the money and all of the queen's treasures. He's a very trusted man to be in charge of all that money. And you had to be well trusted, also very capable. Understanding how to make money, and well versed in all business dealings. But then we're told something quite unexplainable. Here he is on his way back to Ethiopia after a trip to Jerusalem to worship. Now, Ethiopia was a heathen nation, like Egypt. They worshiped everything except for God. Birds and bugs and the Nile River. Gods carved out of wood and stone. They worshiped the sun and the moon. But not this man. He doesn't worship carved idols of wood and stone. Oh, no. He goes to Jerusalem to worship a considerable distance from Ethiopia to ride in a chariot. And it's at great cost and personal expense that he comes to worship up in Jerusalem. So the question is, How does the treasurer of the queen of Ethiopia come to be a worshiper of the God of Israel? Here's a mystery. Something for us to search out. Question to answer. So let's make an educated guess and see if we can arrive at some logical conclusion what happened to this man. First, take note, if you read the book of Acts from cover to cover, you will find that in every city, all over Asia Minor, all over Greece, Paul and Silas, or Paul and Barnabas, or Peter, or anybody who goes to these cities preaching the gospel, goes into the city, locates the Jewish population, because the Jews are everywhere, all over the place doing business. Traders, businessmen in search of commerce. In our language, what we would say, what we would say today is these people are out to make a buck. Money in business. From drug stores to clothing stores to cattle buying. The Jews were shrewd businessmen. And have been for centuries all over the world. Even in biblical times. The Jews have been making money. Now, think logically. If you want to do business 
You want to make money in Ethiopia? Who do you search out? Well, naturally, you search out the treasurer for the queen of Ethiopia, the man in charge of all the money. There's no doubt that this man in the chariot has been dealing with the Jews for quite a long time. Now, Jesus said something about the Jews. It's in Matthew. And Jesus said this. The scribes and the Pharisees compass sea and land to make one proselyte. Wherever the Jews went to do business, they built themselves a synagogue. And then they encouraged other people to follow the Jewish faith. To an Ethiopian whose religion was all superstition, carving of idols, and worshiping anything and everything, this Jewish faith, which is worshiping a God you cannot see, was very different. But something inside of this man, a man of wealth and power, was not satisfied. If we look in the book of Proverbs, wise old Solomon said this, God put eternity in the hearts of men. That is, in every man's heart, there's a desire for something that is not worldly. It's not just what money can buy. It's not short-lived, but something more substantial more real, something with deeper meaning and eternal values. It's in every heart. God made us that way. And to this Ethiopian, the Jewish God that you could not see, but you prayed to and you worshipped, seemed more real, more like God. And so he became a Jewish convert. And being serious about his new faith, he made a trip to Jerusalem. Why? Because there was the temple where you could go and sacrifice to this God you could not see. Now you see, my friends, God calls to people. God reaches out to people. And God puts in people's hearts dissatisfaction. And God puts in people's hearts restlessness. And God puts into people's hearts a desire for something better, something intangible. And in response to the restlessness and the uneasiness, people go and search out what they really desire. That is the work of God in the hearts of people. To awaken them for deeper desires and better things. This Ethiopian treasure had gone searching. and No doubt he had business dealings with the Jews in Ethiopia. And he changed his mind in hope of finding that satisfying answer. He accepted the Jewish faith and now traveled to Jerusalem to celebrate Jewish holy days in the temple. Now, my friends, if he had been one year earlier in his search, 
He would have been there when they crucified Jesus. But he would have seen the conflict unfolding between the Jews and Jesus. But he's one year too late. He might, so when he arrived in Jerusalem, there were many different groups of people there. He might have done business with Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor. He might have met Caiaphas, the high priest who was responsible for the death of Jesus. Maybe he heard about this new group of people who embraced another idea about this man, Jesus of Nazareth. Jerusalem could be a very confusing place. The one thing we know for sure, at great personal expense, the Ethiopian made a special purchase. He bought a scroll in Jerusalem. Handwritten, very expensive, which included in this scroll the entire book of Isaiah. You see, the thing about the Jews was that they had a book. And all of their ideas came from that book. We call it the Bible. So no doubt, at great expense, the Ethiopian bought a copy. It wouldn't be available to a common man. Far too expensive. You didn't buy it in a store. It would be the work of a scribe who copied every letter by hand from another copy. Very precise, very precious, highly treasured. And he bought it at a great price. How much do you pay for truth? How much is truth worth to you? Shame on us who have the same things easily available to us today and do nothing to treasure that truth. Shame on us when our Bibles are gathering dust. But not so with the Ethiopian. He goes home in his chariot, pulls out the scroll, and begins to read in a search for truth. But there's more. Verse 29. And the Spirit said to Philip, Go near, join thyself to this chariot. Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. He's reading out loud. He's trying to focus. That's what you do when you really want to think. When I'm home alone is when it's best I read the Bible out loud. Because your mind has a harder time wandering when you're reading out loud. He's trying to focus on the reading and keep his mind disciplined. So he's reading it out loud. And suddenly Philip, who's been wandering up and down the desert roads, no doubt thinking, did I make a mistake? <laughs> here I am coming here in the middle of the desert. Did I hear my instruction correctly? 
Why am I here in the middle of this desert all alone? No doubt when the Spirit said, There, go get in that chariot. It says he ran as fast as he could run. And as he approaches the chariot, amazingly, he hears the man in it reading Isaiah chapter 53 out loud. Of all the passages you might read in Isaiah, he's reading chapter 53 out loud. And Philip says, do you understand what you read? What a question. A question for everyone who's ever picked up the Bible to read it. Do you understand what you read? Verse 32. The place of the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter. Like a lamb before his shearer, so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation his judgment was taken away. Who shall declare his generation for his life? is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this, of himself or of some other man? Here's a very astute man, very keen intellect. And he's reading out loud Isaiah 53, to this very day, today, the Jews argue who wrote this passage. Was Isaiah writing about himself? And that's what the Jews say today. Why they'd say that? Because if Isaiah is not writing about himself, Jesus is Messiah. Verse 35. Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture, preached unto him Jesus. There it is. There it is. That's why you're in the middle of nowhere, Philip. Philip said, let me tell you what happened last year at this time. And he told about Jesus, this miracle worker. Told about Jesus, this great teacher. Told about Jesus in conflict with the Jews. And as it says in Isaiah 53, he told about Jesus suffering and dying. And also says in Isaiah 53, told about Jesus rising from the dead. Jesus, the fulfillment of all the prophecies. Jesus, who will save your soul and forgive your sins. What I want you to see about all this is that God was working in the heart of this Ethiopian. God was calling him, leading him to faith. A dissatisfaction for the Ethiopian religion. A discovery of another way. A continuing search for truth that took him to Jerusalem. And now a hunger for truth that made him buy a scroll by Isaiah. A fascination that made him read it out loud in his chariot. How long did all that take? Was it three years? Four years? Five years? Since he dealt with those first Jews, maybe 10 years. All that time, God calls the Ethiopian, working in his heart, and suddenly, an appointment. 
Philip got down to the desert. Okay, I'm here. Philip, see that chariot? Go get in it. And Philip runs. He's got an appointment set up by God himself. It's only one man, you say. Philip was preaching to crowds. No, Philip. I've been working on this man for years. And today, right now, he is ready to believe. But he must have his question answered. So run, Philip. Don't be late for your appointment, my friends. What if Philip would have decided not to go? What if Philip said, I can't waste my time out in the desert for no good reason. No need to worry. Philip is full, it says, of the Holy Spirit. He's always listening for God's voice. He is willingly went to a place in the middle of absolutely nowhere, all by himself, to do God's will. And what happened, verse 36, they came their way, came to a certain water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What does hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He believed right there, and he was baptized, verse 38, commanded the chariot to stand still. And they went down into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And they were come up out of the water. The Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, and the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found at Azotus. Passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. Wow, what a day for Philip. Huh? <laughs> he goes in the middle absolutely nowhere, <clears throat> discovers this very important man. Why is he important? Well, he's the queen's right hand. No, that's not why he's important. He's the treasurer of Ethiopia. That's not why he's important. He is to become a child of God. That's it. That's what's important. Philip's work is done, and God removes him. He says to the Ethiopian, I can't imagine it. I've done this myself a lot of times. It's never happened to me. I baptize you, Mr. Ethiopian, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. And he pushes him down into the water. And when the Ethiopian comes about, he's gone. He's just gone. <laughs> you wouldn't forget that baptism, would you? <laughs> Philip, it says, is transported or moved to Asotis, which is a city up on the sea where he can preach again to large crowds. Thrilled that he could lead the Ethiopian to Jesus. The Ethiopian goes home and history tells us that Queen Candace became a follower of Jesus Christ. No doubt. Led there by her trusted advisor, the Ethiopian eunuch. So my friends, why does God put this story into the book of Acts? So we will grasp something very important. God works on people. He begins to call them. 
and he draws them, and he intends to awaken in them a hunger and a thirst for something better for himself. And then he sets up an appointment. It is my belief that next week will be a day of appointments. A day to do God's will and keep his appointment. Like Philip, when you see it, run! Don't walk to the chariot with your thumb out. He runs. Runs to do it. God has spent years calling people. Don't miss the appointment. You never know who will benefit from it. Philip kept his appointment and helped to win the queen of Ethiopia to Christ. Let's be ready and willing, on time, excited to keep God's appointment. May God bless us as we watch and pray and do his will. Remember, we are his voice. We are his representatives. Whether we're serving a hot dog or singing a song. Whether we're making ice cream or passing out a wood project. Together, we do the will of God and keep our appointments. Shall we pray? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this passage and the instruction in it. And the strangeness of it that helps us to understand better what God is doing. Bless us now as we seek to do your will. May we do the things that please you in all that we do. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. In closing, I'd like you to turn in your hymn books, if you will, hymn number 473. Standing as we sing hymn number 473 in closing, bringing in the sheaves. Standing as we sing 473, ye shall come rejoicing, bringing in the sheep. Number 473, bringing in the sheep.
Help to open our eyes that we might see and place in our hand a wonderful key. And ask that as we serve you and do your will, that you'll be pleased with what we do. Fill us up now with your presence that we may do it willingly. And bless these people who have been here with us today. Give to them something special because they have shared this day together with us and with you. We pray for a kind blessing on each one from your own hand. Bless them, we ask. And for all these things, we thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.